0: Please turn with me to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. As we will be looking at the first 16 verses of this chapter, Acts 21. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord's Prayer. That's first help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it because, Father, we are ones who easily entangle your words with our own, your wisdom, with our own wisdom. And so, Lord, we need clarity this morning. We pray that you would bring it to us as only you can, that you would deliver us from the entanglements of our own worship our own idolatry and that you would help us to focus our eyes solely on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I read through these verses this week and even as we've shared our requests and uh, different things this morning it's it's kind of reminded me of this this phrase that I heard a lot growing up and it's the idea of Everything's going to be okay. When I was a kid, you know, I would run around and play really hard and I would scrape my knee or hit my head on something or whatever. And I'd cry and my mom would come up and she would say, everything's going to be okay. And I believed her. Well, usually I I believed her because she usually had some sort of help associated with that, right? She would bring a Band-Aid or some ice to put on my head or whatever I had hurt. And it got better. It really did. It was good. When I got older, I could, could convince myself of the same kind of thing. You know, if I had a bad grade or if I lost a sports contest or something simple, I would say, everything's going to be okay. There's something I could do about it, right? I could just study more. And fix that that problem. Or I could just play harder or play better and maybe be better than the opponent next time and and get better. And, and that would be okay. Yeah, it was within my power, basically, to to fix those things. I could make it okay. Now I'm the one saying it's going to be okay when my kids hurt themselves. Or teaching them to fix things that they can fix in order to make things to be okay. But what about when things aren't going to be okay? If you live long enough, you realize that things, some things can't be fixed. Or if they can be fixed, they're never the same after that. There's always some sort of remnant of brokenness to them. And in those situations, everything is going to be okay, is often solved with other things that make us feel okay. Like substance abuse or promiscuity or overeating or whatever it is in those regards. Or for others, they realize that it's not going to be okay and it causes them to sink deep into themselves. And you have depression on one extreme and you have narcissism on the other. The two things are pretty closely linked. The world of psychology refers to these outlets as coping mechanisms. And even secular psychology would agree that not all coping mechanisms are good by any means. They suggest helpful things like meditation or breathing techniques or punching pillows or whatever. In our text today, Paul is in the middle of a situation that is not going to be okay. It's not. He's headed to Jerusalem where he knows that he's going to be captured and he's going to be thrown in prison. He knows that his days are numbered because, well, he's the Apostle Paul. And at this point, most of the Mediterranean knows that, either for good or for ill. Apparently, this knowledge has become known to many in the church as well, as we're going to see in our text. They offer Paul some advice as he is to or how he should handle this situation. And he has, of course, a different plan, a different suggestion. So that's going to be the the crux of our text. For us, I think it's helpful because life is not often okay. And also, knowing how to discern God's will in those situations, I think it's very helpful for us. Not merely discerning the will of God, but knowing how we should respond in the midst of it. Suffering is a normal part of our life in this world. Suffering for the believer in fact is part of our sanctification it's how the lord grows us and i think this text offers us some helpful wisdom in that area and so i want to look at two main ideas first is the phrase the right information but the wrong conclusions and then secondly a proper view of suffering and so with that let's look at the text together today acts chapter 21 verses 1-16. through Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts 21, starting at verse 1. And when they had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in the side of Cyprus, leaving it on the left we sailed to syria and landed at tyre for there the ship had was to unload its cargo and having sought out some of the, sought out the disciples we stayed there for 7 days and though or and through the spirit they were telling paul not to go to jerusalem when our days there were ended we departed and went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach we prayed And said farewell to one another, and they went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers, and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, the one who who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt around his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind a man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for i am ready not only to be imprisoned but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus and since we would not be pers- he would not be persuaded we ceased and said let the will of the Lord be done after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem and some of the disciples from Caesarea went there with us bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Just a few things before we get into the main idea of the text. Remember, last week Paul met with the elders of Ephesus and told them that this would be the last time that they would see him. Maybe they did see him again on his journey uh back out in his uh after he got out of prison the first time before he went back and we don't know but we do know that it was a sad journey we touched on our topic today a bit in the last few weeks actually because we're dealing with things that are out of our hands we're out of the hands of the people that we're reading about be it the death of eutychus falling out of the window the elders of ephesus having to deal with Paul's leaving I think the passage today brings us around full circle really and gives us a much fuller picture on how we should look at these things there's a lot of travel going on in the text today too you probably notice which for me and there's a lot of places and you can look and study in all those places but for me it highlights more than anything the perseverance the persistence that Paul had as he continued to do his work and ministry as so I was reading John Calvin's commentary on Acts, he said this, Luke reckons up briefly the course of his sailing, and that not only to win credit to the history that we may know what was done in every place, but that the readers may weigh with themselves the invincible and heroic fortitude which was in Paul, who would rather be tossed and troubled with such long, long, unlevel and troublesome journeys that he might serve christ than provide for his own quietness it's really convicting for me to read that i consider my own quest for quietness and it's it's one that i seek out a lot actually and i'm convicted to see that paul really never had much of a quiet moment at all even the times when he wanted quiet quiet didn't really happen other things did This isn't to shame us at all, but it should help us to consider whether or not our own comfort is paramount in the ministry of others. Along the way to Jerusalem, Paul encounters several folks, many of them that we've actually seen before. I think that's pretty neat that we're seeing some people the second time. And through his interactions, I think we get to the main idea of the text, which brings me to the first point, the right information with the wrong conclusions. Dr. Derek Thomas, who's... Who was, he's a pastor in ARP now actually, he's the first ARP Columbia. He summed up the conclusions of all the folks that we're going to encounter in this text today with the phrase that I used for my first point. They had the right information, but they had the wrong conclusions. So what does he mean by that? Well, when Paul and Luke and the others arrive there entire, they find the disciples that are there. They went to find some disciples, you kind of get the idea. That there probably weren't very many disciples there. And what did he and what did they say to him? Well look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. This creates a bit of an issue, does it not? The Spirit is telling Paul to stay. And he doesn't, is he disobeying? We have to be careful with this. Is that what it's saying at all? I don't think so. More than likely what's happening here, they, along with Paul, remember we read last week that Paul had seen, the Spirit had told him he was going to be arrested. They probably saw that same bit of information. They saw that trouble was awaiting Paul in Jerusalem, and they themselves are saying, Paul, don't go. I mean, if you knew your friend was about to face difficulty, if you knew for certain that he was going to be arrested and given over to the most powerful nation in the world for different, different reasons against that nation, wouldn't you stop them? Of course you would. I Any mean, One of us would. Paul doesn't stay, of course, but I love the scene on the beach. All the families, they're coming out to pray with Paul and his crew as they set sail toward Jerusalem, a very touching scene. After a short stay in a place called Ptolemaeus, they go to Caesarea to visit Philip. And you may remember Philip, he was one of the first deacons appointed by the apostles. He was the one that that uh shared the gospel with the Ethiopian and and then was carted off to this area where he settled. He has four unmarried daughters here, and all of his daughters turned out to be prophets and now we could go into a discussion on prophecy in the new testament but we're not going to if you have questions we can talk about that in sunday school that would be great but there's a lot of prophecy here in this text as well And it brings up some interesting questions that we're not going to look at at least in the scope of this sermon but while they were there agabus from chapter 11 came to paul and he had a special kind of prophecy in chapter 11, he had some sort of prophecy concerning a famine, but now he just comes up to Paul, look at verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. See, this is an interesting interaction here. Bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, and Luke included, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So Agabus takes Paul's own belt, I'm assuming that he asked first, and bound his own feet and heads and said, Look, Paul, this is what they're going to do to you. This is what the Spirit has shown me. They, they, being the Jews, are going to bind you and they're going to turn you over to Rome, You can read that same thing that takes place in the book of John, actually, but not to Paul, but to our Lord Jesus. They don't want Paul to go. Paul is an important figure in the church. Think of the work that he's done so far. Think of the many that, because of his ministry, are currently working and ministering for the Lord. I mean, if you think about this. These people are very much like us. We love it when things are good and okay. That's why we couldn't take the idea just like they couldn't take the idea of Paul leaving. Where things are known to be going well. Where things are okay. Paul just stay here with us. Everything's going to be good. We can just have church and it's all going to be great. I told you several weeks ago about a cousin of mine who is considering the mission field. Her family's not wanting her to go. Why? Because it's not safe. It's not okay in other parts of the world. Here, she has family. She has money. She's taken care of. There, none of those things are guaranteed. It's hard. Here's Paul wanting to get back to Jerusalem because he knows this is the path that has been given to him to go to Jerusalem Everyone else is trying to keep that from happening. Reminds me a lot of the lead up to Jesus' death. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. There are lots of places that we could go in the Gospels to see this sort of idea. Todd read from uh, Matthew 26 today about the Garden of Gethsemane. Another important text on this idea where the apostles just didn't really want jesus to follow through with this we're having a real hard time with it matthew 16 is very similar let's look at verse 21 from that time jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised those are hard words and peter peter was course the leader there he he took him aside and began to rebuke him which i can't even fathom began to rebuke him saying far be it from you lord this shall never happen to you telling the lord of glory the creator of all things no the thing that you said that's going to happen is not going to happen he did it but he turned and said to peter get behind me satan you are a hindrance to me For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In the passage before this, if you read back a little bit, the Lord commends Peter for his confession that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now Jesus is rebuking him harshly. Why? Because Peter wanted Jesus to stay safe. Stay here with us, Jesus. Not to go do the thing that he's supposed to do, which is why he's called the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what it's all about, right? We love the idea of normal and safe and comfortable, whatever that is. And when that gets upset, we're not okay with it at all. It affects our faith. Very much because we start to see God as only the giver of good things. And he is, of course, but we see ourselves as the one that gets to define good. When he doesn't give me something that I deem to be good, then he isn't being the God that I have made in my own image. That's why when the unbelievers constantly rage with the question, why does God let bad things happen? Because they believe in this God that they have made themselves. Or they say they don't believe in the God that they have made themselves. They're they're interesting group. Because they can't fathom why an all-powerful being wouldn't bend his infinite understanding of all things and time and space and everything to the will of our finite spatial minds. They can't fathom that God wouldn't do the things that they want him to do. They believe that if God is capable of good as they see it, and he doesn't do those things, then he's no God at all. So they can't believe and they fight against the thing they say they don't believe in. But at the heart of their unbelief, it isn't that God isn't real. Because we know that what the scripture says about that, they really do believe that God is really just refused to acknowledge that. But it's God doesn't fit their definition, their definition of who they think he should be. So when things happen, and we have to be careful that we're not just saying they, because we do that same thing, by the way. And we have to be careful when things threaten our normal, we take offense, because our normal is the object of worship to us, is it not? This idea of comfort to us is very comfortable and we like it. And if anyone wants to take away from that, we take offense because that is what we worship. We must keep normal or we won't be okay. And that would be horrible. It affects our ministries as well. Because ministry always requires you to go outside the normal. Every time. It requires you to be accepting of very abnormal things because... People in need are actually the version of you that is experiencing not okay. They are experiencing that. They need something good. But we are oftentimes not wanting to help. Because in order to help, folks, the God of our normal has to get dirty. And many times that's just too much. We can't do that. We'll throw money at not okay. All the time. We'll even send someone to look at it for a few weeks. But we're not going to stay because we love our comfort way too much. How do we combat this? How do we come to accept this idea of not okay as a normal condition of our earthly journey and a normal condition of those that we intend to minister to? That brings me to the next point. The proper view of suffering. Look with me at verse 13. So you can get the the picture here. There are these people who are prophets. Even this one Agabus who comes up and puts on a show for Paul. Binds his own hands with Paul's belt. And says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. And all of Paul's crew, even Luke himself, the writer of this book. Says, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem. Paul, it's not going to be good. This is how Paul answers them in verse 13. Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So he was ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. This is his answer. He's ready to accept whatever's coming to him in Jerusalem. And he knows that it's not going to be a party. Why? Because he understands what is at stake. And his livelihood, whether or not he is okay when he gets to Jerusalem, is not at the top of his priority list. Rather, the glory of the Lord Jesus is. Paul explains this idea a few places in his letters to the churches, actually. But I think it's best in Philippians 1. Turn with me there. Philippians chapter 1. Starting at verse 19 and forward. For I know that though uh, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life Or by death. Paul knows that his time's coming to an end. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What is Paul saying here? To live is a great opportunity to do ministry, to be there with the people that he loves. To die, he gets to be with Christ himself in the flesh. So there's no loss at all either way for Paul, the way he looks at it. To live is Christ. To die is gain. It's an absolute win-win for Paul. So how do the folks who hear Paul in Acts 21, how do they respond to that? Look at verse 14, Acts 21. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. It's not as if this group came together and said, All right, Lord, we concede you can do what you want to do. That's not what they're saying at all. It's not as if they could somehow stop what the Lord was going to do, but it's a concession simply to say, we now trust that what the Lord has in store is good because Paul says it's going to be good. Paul is saying, I realize that it's not going to be okay, and I'm okay with that. Are we to that point in our own faith? I'll answer the question. Probably not. Of course we're not. But we can experience this kind of faith as well. It's part of our sanctification. It's a part of our growing up as believers. I mean, just consider how Paul got to this point in his own life. How can we be able to discern God's will and then be okay with it? Well, knowing God's will is a difficult thing meaning knowing what's going to happen what he has in store for us very difficult thing that isn't to say that uh you have to be good at it i mean there aren't some people who are better at that knowing god's will than others that's just to say that he doesn't always let us know what's going on because he doesn't have to we're the creature he's the creator sometimes we hear easy answers from the lord and that's good like for instance on moral issues We get real easy answers. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. We don't have to know what the Lord's will is concerning whether or not I should take someone else's things. We already know what His will is on that. That one's easy. He wants us to do right. And He didn't come to us and tell us something different. You know, I've heard people say, well, I think the Lord's telling me to go ahead and do this. No, He's not. It's wrong. He's not telling you to do that. But sometimes we hear it from others. We have to be careful there as well. Our friends mean well, don't they? They want us to do well. They want us to to prosper. But we've seen here in the text that they always don't have the right conclusion, even though they may have good information. The love that we have from others can oftentimes skew the wisdom that they speak to us, and we have to be careful. We have to guard these things and, and measure them against God's Word. Many times and every time, really, we should simply pray that the Lord would give us understanding and clarity for the happenings of everyday life. We can trust that whatever it is, he's not going to wake up surprised in the morning because he doesn't go to sleep in the first place. He knows what's going on. He's not surprised with the things that are going on in our lives. And he... From the foundation of the earth has ordained all things that will come to pass. And he has said, yes, good, right. We can take hope in that. We know also that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. We've seen that over and over in the scriptures already this morning. We won't ever have to wonder where he is Isn't that a good thing? He's always right here with us. Even if we are walking through what we might think is the darkest time in our lives. He's right there with us. He's not waiting for us to get to the other side. He's walking it with us every step of the way. And when it comes to learning how to live with not okay, we need to remember our calling as Christians. What are we called to do? By our Lord himself, we are called to lift up our cross daily and follow him. We are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. We are called to deny ourselves and to give to others over and over in the scriptures. The call of the believers, humility and service rather than comfort and ease. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy nice things or have comfort. I'm not saying that at all. Don't go and search out discomfort. That's silly. But that comfort can become an idol. And we should cast it down. And pray that the Lord would help us with that. So many times in our ministries, this is the type of witness, this service, this humility that will bear fruit. No one will come to our nice church one day and say, wow, your building's really nice. That's why we stay here, by the way. Sure, maybe some will, but they need to hear this too. Why will people come? Why will they stay? How will people see the gospel truth when we, you and I, are living it? Someone's life will be changed because of what we have done for them. Not because we go to church in a nice looking place, but because we were a living sacrifice on behalf of our Lord Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that he died to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, the question for us is how do we live out that statement if we're sitting in an easy chair with no marks of suffering? At all. We don't. I'm not saying that we should go find difficulty. I mean, again, hear me out. I'm not saying go find the difficult thing and then live in that. Maybe that's your calling. But if you are faithful and you are faithful to ministering the gospel, those things will find you. Rest assured. Look at the ministry of Paul. I mean, has he had an easy two steps? Look at Peter's ministry. Those men modeled the idea that ministry of the gospel requires sacrifice, and they, they did it, and they did it faithfully. We must remember, we don't do these things in our own strength, brothers and sisters. This is not us. This is not about us, but it is that Christ who gives us strength. And so in conclusion, brothers and sisters, life will not be okay A whole, whole lot. And we have to know that. And that no matter what, Jesus is right here with us every step of the way. He said he would be, so we have to trust that indeed he will be. Why would he sacrifice himself for us and then leave us to suffer alone? He won't do that. He is right here with us. And so let us be ones who deny ourselves daily and take up our cross and follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you today and as we even consider ministry, not even in our context today, but as we look forward, as we look forward to moving to a new neighborhood, as we look forward to encountering new people, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand more and more what it means to deny ourselves, what it means to be in the midst of a world that is struggling and not okay, and help us to be armed alone with the gospel that you have given to us, the word that you have given to us, the truth of your gospel message, that you are right here with us that you died to save your people, and you will bring them home. Lord, help us to lean upon that promise today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.